the work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. I just want to take a moment of appreciation for Mari and Liz especially for the inspiring invitation that we watched earlier and really for the whole Eighth Principle Task Force. Sam Hamner and Judith Stoddard and Scott Benbow, Rochelle Fortier-Nobibia, Jayanti Chapeau and Don Shearer for all of their labors, all the opportunities that they're planning for us to get informed and connected and clear together in the next couple of months as we learn about the Eighth Principle and then vote. I feel lucky to be entering into ministry in this moment where decades of work, both hard and overdue, are coming to fruition. And to happen to be here with you all in this moment where we have the chance to join with dozens of other congregations all over the country who've already adopted the Eighth Principle, and even more who are engaging the process in parallel to us right now, like our siblings of faith across the Bay in Berkeley and Oakland. We're not walking alone on this path, not by a long shot. Of course, there, there will be questions that come up. Paula Cole Jones, in her presentation to us back in January, talked about some of the common ones. And no doubt we'll talk some more in the coming months. But here's one that got me thinking. It's around the word accountability. The eighth principle reads in part that we covenant to take actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. A colleague out east described a conversation that unfolded as her congregation began this process. And it was around this word, accountability. This word that many reflected evoked in them something negative, bringing to mind for some residual pain from their religious upbringings, evoking a kind of punitive or shaming feeling, one that many rightly suggested felt misaligned with our principles and our commitments as a movement. What does the word accountability evoke for you? Accountability feels to me like one of those words that we hear all the time, but might struggle to define. One of those words that's used so much that its meaning actually gets a little bit obscured. 
one of those words that sees a lot of traction but little precision or careful unpacking. And one of those words that may carry a connotation that doesn't have all that much to do with its actual meaning, at least not the way I understand it. What does the word accountability evoke for you? These days, faced with harm and wrongdoing on so many levels of our public life, it's a common question, where is the accountability? Or we need to hold them, her, him accountable for their actions. Often these calls for accountability articulate something important, the desire for justice in the face of negligence or violence or wanton disregard for others. The thirst for this thing we call accountability can feel righteous and necessary in service of truth and reconciliation. But at the same time, the word accountability takes on a sort of terrifying, even bullying quality. The language of accountability starts to feel more like a weapon or a threat. Something that someone does to someone else. Something that could be done to you. While we might hunger for accountability on the level of politics or when it's happening to someone else, when accountability comes up in our personal lives, it can feel a lot less welcome. Because for many of us, we've come to conflate accountability with punishment. Indeed, the two have gotten so jumbled up together that it can be hard to parse them apart. But it matters, I think, that we do. In writing about the costs of mass incarceration, Daniel Sered, the founder of the organization Common Justice, argues that the criminal justice system, what can seem like the logical vehicle for accountability, is actually diametrically opposed to it. A sort of kryptonite to accountability, she says. There are, of course, the moments, many of them in our recent collective memory, where some people, even with seeming clarity of their culpability, never see the inside of a courtroom or the verdict we might think is just. But even taking the cases where the justice system does seem to be working as intended, Sarah argues it remains a poor vehicle for accountability. From the trial where pleading not guilty, regardless of one's relationship with the offense, is strategic, even encouraged. And certainly in jail or prison, which severs people from community, and has morphed as activist and philosopher Angela Davis reminds us from a means of rehabilitation to a system centered on punishment as an end in and of itself. For all the ravages of prison, Sarah writes, it insulates people from what they've done. Though cries for accountability persist, practically speaking, punishment has displaced it. 
The impact of this conflation is hard to fully comprehend, Sarah tells us. But we have an opportunity to reverse that displacement, to reclaim what we have given up and what has been taken from us. And to begin the work of building an accountability-based culture that we all deserve. Sarah and her organization are part of the world of transformative justice, a field of study and practice that considers community-based alternatives to incarceration and community-based ways to respond to harm in general. Transformative justice holds a vision, one of a world that can respond to harm in ways that honor the humanity of all involved. Responses that can sustain or even deepen community all the way through and get to the root of structural change required to prevent harm in the future. It's an example of moral imagination of the most audacious kind. The kind of vision that can be hard to even wrap our heads around. So long we have been steeped in another vision of justice. To an outsider, the vision of transformative justice could seem naive, out of touch with the realities of harm that people do to one another. Quite the opposite though, transformative justice begins with the assumption that we will hurt one another. Shaped as we are by the layers of structural inequity and harms that are quite literally generational. Harm will happen. We will disappoint each other. We will hurt each other. We will mess up in ways big and small, both. Yet, the path forward isn't to start with the biggest and most intractable harm, at least not by itself. For change to happen on the collective scale, change is required on every level. For as one transformative justice practitioner asks, if we can't handle the big things between us, how can we handle the small things? What we practice on the small scale can build our capacity for the bigger structural work and vice versa. The patterns around accountability and punishment that shape our politics, our institutions, these play out inside of each one of us too. It demands interrogation then when we talk about accountability in our intimate relationships, in communities like this one. What do we mean? I have a hunch that most of us have experienced or at least witnessed punishment masquerading as accountability. Attempts at holding to account that deliberately or not use shame as a tool. Attempts that rush past the relational component of this work and straight to fissure, expulsion or exile 
what some people describe as canceling. To be sure, there can be situations where this can be a necessary response. And we know that there are plenty of situations when the fear and shame that these punitive interpretations of accountability evoke, not just in the person being taken to task, but to everyone witnessing it too. We know that these can shut down learning, shut down change, and ultimately shut down accountability. It's no wonder then that accountability gets a bad rap. It is, I think, this fear of being canceled, being cut off from community that is behind our collective aversion to this deeply necessary work. Our avoidance that consequently creates a culture where true accountability is hard to find. But maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Mia Mingus, who is an educator, writer, and visionary, both in the field of transformative justice and disability justice, offers an alternative vision, a dream, of how we might be differently together. What if accountability wasn't scary, she writes. It will never be easy or comfortable, but what if it wasn't scary? What if our own accountability wasn't something we ran from, but something we ran towards, something we desired, appreciated, held as sacred? What if we cherished opportunities to take accountability as opportunities to practice liberation, to practice love, to practice being the kinds of people we want to be? What if we trusted accountability was done with love and knew that we too could name and be heard in what hurt, what went wrong when it happened to us, and to heal, rather than carry our hurt around or wall ourselves off in anger or pain. What if? What if? What if we considered accountability to be a kind of love? A love of self and a love of others. One of the big observations that Mingus makes is that accountability has to be consensual. It cannot be forced because accountability requires change. And change, ultimately, is a choice. A choice that each one of us makes for ourselves. So, for instance, she encourages that rather than thinking about holding others accountable, we consider first how to be accountable ourselves. This learning to be accountable is a skill, Mingus says. An art, a craft, something akin to what Reverend Vanessa invited us into last week around getting ready. It is a muscle that each of us can start developing so that it is stronger when we inevitably need it. But that doesn't mean it's something we have to do alone. 
Writing on the subject, black liberation activist and author Malika Devish Cyril asserts that while accountability isn't something we hold each other to, it is something we help each other to be. It is something that we practice together. Does that sound hard? Complicated? Difficult to even know where to start? It might be. But each one of us, I think, is already practicing some version of accountability. Each one of us, I suspect, has a relationship or several where we practice accountability without even thinking about it. Where it may not be easy, but it isn't scary. You make sure your kid gets a healthy dinner. You make sure your dog gets their vaccines. Your mother gets a card and lunch on her birthday. That your spouse is treated with respect and honesty. You honor the professional ethics you swore an oath to. And if your kid, your mother, your partner, your colleague tells you that you've hurt them, you pause and listen and change. Accountability is there in the showing up, in doing what you say you're going to do, and in owning up when you don't. As Daniel shared, accountability is reminding each other when we step out of bounds, and even more importantly, responding to those reminders with grace, humility, and genuine intent to change even when it isn't your intent to hurt, as Daniel modeled so beautifully. Essentially, accountability is an affirmation of relationship. And as we deepen into the practice, it widens the circle of concern, bringing in all the relationships that knit our lives together into a powerful and regular reminder of our fundamental interdependence. It is an affirmation of everybody's humanity, an affirmation of the truth of each one of our inherent dignity, whatever happens between us. For me, it is about choosing to stay in relationship, even when things are hard, and working with the strength of relationship in mind always. I think we need to tell each other these stories Stories like the one Daniel shared. Stories where the gift of giving feedback that Daniel talks about is met with the gift of being accountable. Stories about courage and growth and transformation. Doing the work and talking about it might help us grow into this practice in putting love over punishment, healing over retribution, knowing that each expression is not a solitary action, but as Mia Mingus suggests, an intentional drop in an ever-growing river of healing and repair, a drop that has the potential to nourish, comfort, and build back trust on a large scale, carving new pathways of hope and faith through mountains of fear and unacknowledged pain like drops of water that gradually can carve through rock, we start small in the workshop of our daily lives. 
knowing that all of us at some point will be on both sides of harm. What if we start by holding ourselves accountable? Not with shame or self-punishment, but holding honesty and love and relationship as we step towards the harm and repair. Start as we will this year, holding ourselves as a community, accountable for prioritizing, healing from the harm of racism and oppression. Start by honoring the gift of feedback that we have been given by people of color in this community, in our denomination, and in our country that things need to change. And meeting that gift of feedback with the gift of showing up, moving towards accountability, knowing that it is an expression of our covenant with one another. Exercising power in the opposite direction of harm. May we turn away from fear and turn toward learning toward dreams that require some more personal and interpersonal work for us to plant them firmly in our communities and in our world. May we remember that accountability is the work of love. And love is the spirit of this church. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.